Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, I am turning the tables. I'm sitting on the other side of the mic. Connie Polk, who I met on the Sniff Spotlight series, which was a show I got to produce, and she was a guest, is going to be interviewing me and giving you further insight into the Better Call Daddy show and Rena Friedman Watts. Connie Polk, I'm handing it over to you. So your dad said that you were born in Kentucky. Were you a horse girl? I wasn't, although when I went to summer camp every summer, I went to this camp called Camp Piamingo, and I went there for seven summers, and they did have horseback riding there. So I got to horseback ride there. My mom is actually very into horseback riding, and one time we went to Corpus Christi. Is it Corpus, Corpus Christi, Christi? Uh-huh. in Texas, and, and she took us horseback riding on the beach. That was pretty cool. Are you a horseback rider? I actually was. Yeah. So, can't anymore. <laughs> Not because of my age, though. I actually got thrown from my horse. Oh, no. When I was, oh, probably about eight to 10 years ago. I went up in the air about eight feet off the, the horse. Oh, you know, my so God. a total of eight feet, you know, up in the air and landed on my rear end. And I didn't have enough cushion at that time. <laughs> now I do. But. I broke my pelvis in two places. Oh my God. And my ex-husband was with me and he didn't think it was that bad. And so I started walking and I couldn't walk after a few feet. And so he goes and he pulls the car up. He hasn't even taken care of the horse yet because the horse is running around and pulls the car up to the arena, but doesn't bring it into the arena. So I had to walk from a seat and with somebody else helping and walked to the car. And then when we got to the hospital, it's really funny, I got yelled at because I was trying to walk to the wheelchair and the people in the hospital called a code triage. And they're like, you know, we're gonna to have to cut your clothes off. You know that we're calling a code because you're in healthcare, we know that. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you know, you shouldn't have walked. And I'm like, I, I just thought I broke maybe my femur or something. And they're like, you might have internal bleeding, blah, blah, blah. So anyway. That's a story. I can't even can't believe ride, you were able to walk. Can't even ride a horse anymore. So oh, no. I did. I did though. I got back on. And then something <laughs> just triggered me and was like, not such a smart idea. Use your head. You can have a horse maybe. Your daughter can still ride. But then when things happened and the horse had to be put down. So anyway, no longer going to have a horse. But yeah, so I actually, I wrote a little bit when I lived in California too. I lived in Burbank for almost three years and you could rent them or whatever and go through the, the mountains. 
but they weren't so, you know, disciplined of horses. I mean, <laughs> kind of like what you're saying though, like are any animals really able to be disciplined, right? And so they, they don't really always listen. And that was a little scary to me, but it was fun. And I was in my twenties and, you know, you're a little adventurous then and you just do it. But yeah, I feel like they were ahead of me or, you know, the horse would just take off, you know, and <laughs> I'm that not a professional. To, you know, that happens with horseback riding in, like when you're in situations where there's multiple horses, they tend to rule the roost and not the person on the, the horse. Exactly. They think that, the, all they think about is getting their food, coming back to the stall, enjoying themselves. Oh my god! <laughs> they do that all the time. So down in Texas, when you're down in Texas now, you might have the opportunity to do this. I bet your daughter would love it. Oh yeah, she totally would. But you know what? She is, even though she's come out of her shell by doing the Better Call Daddy show, she is very careful of a child and she's very shy. And I think she would probably be a little bit scared to do that. I would probably have to do it with her and she'd maybe want a couple lessons before actually like going out even. Yeah, I can yeah. see that bringing her out of her shell a little bit. That would be fun, though. I'm going to yeah. look into that. That's a great idea. Yeah, my daughter did that. Did so, she? Yeah, that was one of the few things that actually started bringing her out of her shell, was finding something that she really liked, which was horses, and then riding, taking lessons. She even showed. Oh, she cool. Found she did not like it, though, because a lot of the people are, they're kind of just different kind of personality. Yeah, it at that. it's very competitive, right? It is, it is. And she's not that competitive, but it did bring her out of her shell. And then she also found that she loved to run. She was a runner. Oh, nice. So my oldest wants to get into that. He's, to track or into long distance? Yeah, I guess we'll have to see what he's able to do. But he's gotten very into fitness over the last year. And he was like, maybe I'll join a team. Maybe I'll run. I think because I bought a treadmill and he sees me trying to run. So, <laughs> but he has gotten very fit. And I think running is therapeutic. And, it is. you know, I think it would be good for him. I think it brings, it calms people. People that are runners usually have some type of level of anxiety mm -hmm. or high stress or, yes. you know, and then it just calms them and brings them into focus. And that's the way that it has helped my daughter quite a bit. So when she's really crazy, you know, like not thinking straight or her anxiety level is way high, go run, go to the gym, Go work out, enjoy yourself, because she really does. She'll stay there for two hours. Like, what are you doing there for two hours? But yeah, she really enjoys herself when she runs. So I, I, I can relate I don't, to that. I don't like running. <laughs> I still cannot believe that you were able to walk with a broken pelvis. I mean, my God, <laughs> Connie, there is seriously, although nothing you would tell me would surprise me. You are such a fighter in so many ways. Like, of course you could walk with a broken pelvis. <laughs> You don't even know half of my story, but it's not about me. It's about you today. Okay. What else do you want to know? So as a little girl, tell me about your yourself as a little girl. How did you see yourself? <sighs> you know, it's funny because I go back to my house in Kentucky and my room still looks the same. It's got the same wallpaper on the walls, these blooming 1970s flowers. And my mom <laughs> kept the one of the little pegboards on the wall with my little gymnastics ribbons. And, you know, my prom pictures on the wall. And, and I used to look at fashion magazines and rip things out and pin that to the wall or, you know, local bands that I was into, those are still on the wall. And I'm like, who was I, right? You start really reflecting on that. And I think that 
as a child, I was trying to figure out where I belonged. I think I'm still trying to figure out where I belong. You know how old I am. (laughs) And I'm still trying to figure out where I belong. I mean, I'm comfort. I have a comfort level of where I belong. But I think all through life, you should be asking that question. Yeah, what do I believe? Where do I belong? Who are my people? Who lights me up? Who drains me? Who do I want to spend my time with? What do I love doing? What do I not love doing? And that changes all the time. And I think that there's different seasons, there's different phases, and I think that we evolve. And I think the more books we read and the more people we talk to and the more experiences that we have and the more that we mix it up, the more that you grow. I agree. I totally agree. So do you know where you are now? Oh my gosh, no. I'm getting ready to really mix it up and really break out of my comfort zone again, and I've actually done it many times. I grew up in Kentucky. I lived there my entire childhood. I lived in the same house my entire life. My mom has lived in Kentucky her whole life. I got a singing scholarship to my first college and I went to West Virginia and I was the only Jewish girl in the entire college. Oh, wow. And it was tough. One thing I liked about it is that I ended up teaching like Sunday school at like a reform synagogue and I loved the kids there and I kind of found some people that I liked there and the music teacher saw something in me. I tend to go with the people that see something in me. A lot of my path has been that. (laughs) Like when people give me a break or give me a shot or see something in me or like really compliment what I love doing, I'm like, oh, those are my people. And I have found some of those, those breadcrumbs along the way. So there was a teacher, Mr. Hornbaker. I've actually really, I've recently reconnected with him on Facebook. This is so cool. But he came to my senior day at a youth performing arts school that I went to in high school in Louisville. And he offered me a full ride for singing. And I ended up at this small school in West Virginia, the University of Charleston. And I never really loved the solo spot. I loved collaborating with others and singing in harmony and being around other people that loved music. Music really lights my soul on fire. But, you know, he got me a singing scholarship where I got to be a part of a choir at a synagogue. And then I got to be a part of a choir at the university. And he believed in me and he gave me that shot. I kind of got in with the wrong people, though. I like to party and have some independence. And so <laughs> I can I can see that. Anyway. Yeah, I, I got a little bit out of control at that school. And then, too, I was like, this school is so easy academically that I really felt like I wasn't being challenged. So I ended up actually meeting somebody from Purdue And I was in sports med for two years Uh because that was like the top program at the University of Charleston. So I was a dual major. But anyway, I met someone at Purdue that was in the sports med program there. And I was like, ooh, maybe I could transfer. And I I ended up getting into Purdue. I don't even know if I would have gotten in on my first try, which I didn't even get into the youth performing arts school on my first try. (laughs) But I I got into Purdue. I transferred there. I thought I wanted to be pre-med or like work in the sports med department that I had already started there. But then the caliber of the students at Purdue were like, oh my God, I went from having a 4-0 to like my first C in college. I was like, okay, now we're getting, we're getting an ass beating, right? So I ended up switching my major my junior year. I got out of the music, got out of the sports med and went for my passion, which was communications and broadcasting. I got lucky and took a job at an NPR station on campus. And I started singing in the booth and recording myself and learning how to run the board manually. And I did not know that about you. And I I learned something new every time I see you. And I loved that. There was definitely something lit there. And I was just reading the news and the weather. 
I can do it still. It was, this is AM 920 WBAA West Lafayette, listener supported public radio from Purdue on the web at WBAA.org. And I loved that. Awesome. And I would look at the news coming across the news wire and I'd pick the stories that interest me and I'd edit them and make them more interesting than just what was coming across the news wire. (laughs) And they let me. And I would really get into like recording my version of that and putting that out there. And I was at that station right when they were transitioning from manually running the board to automating it. So once it got automated, you could make less mistakes and you could re-record and you can make it sound even better than your first shot, right? So that was great. I did radio broadcasting show in high school and it's just your high school sports or, you know, you're talking about the football game or whatever, what's hot on campus. And I liked it a lot, but I didn't think it was for me. Really? Yeah. But it was really weird. My grandma always used to tell me, you've got the voice. You do. You, you, you've got the voice for being on the radio. She goes, I wouldn't put you on in front of a camera, but you've That's got the nice. voice. <laughs> she, I yeah. do think that you're very comfortable on camera and you're an amazing storyteller and that the cameras don't phase you. And I think that that is a big piece of it. It took me a long time to get here. Actually, I have been nervous in front of crowds. I feel better one-on-one. And that's also part of why I left singing. You know, I went to this youth performing arts school. I didn't get in on my first try. I felt like I was in school next to these people that were ending up in Juilliard and at the Boston Conservatory and that were made for Broadway. And it does make you better singing alongside those people. Uh And it was amazing to hear my voice harmonizing with their voices. But some people love the stage. Some people are made for the stage and truly light up in front of thousands of people. That's not me. Like, I actually love the production. I love the one-on-one. I love the radio atmosphere. I love podcasting. I feel much more myself like that because I don't know how many people are listening. (laughs) That's true. But I've had to work my way up to talking in front of 45 people, talking in front of 70 people, talking and seeing an event of 350 people. I, I still feel like where I shine is kind of in this environment. How did you get on the Jerry Springer? How did you get that position? Tell me a little bit more about that because I'm interested in that. I've listened to a good portion of Jerry Springer's, but your podcast, but I haven't gotten through it all. I view you sometimes as a hippie. (laughs) I married a hippie. That's funny. I literally married a hippie. This guy, my husband, God bless his soul. He lived on a mountain in New Mexico for a year and a half trying to live on no money. And like in a tent and finding religion and finding himself. And and he's actually, it's interesting, but kind of introduced that more into my life. Like I never thought that I would have a natural childbirth. And he's like, well, why don't you see if you could try that? I don't think you need meds. You're in good shape. You got this. Like (laughs) I never would have signed up for that, but I did it. And once I did it, I was so empowered by it. But back to Jerry Springer, where I got even more empowered. I got an interview at WGN through Purdue University, through an alumni, you know, how they get you different interviews when you're getting ready to graduate. And so I drove up from Purdue and I interviewed at WGN and I wanted to work in radio actually. That's so cool. And there wasn't an opening when I was graduating or I didn't get it. I don't know, but there, I, I didn't get the job there. I loved the interview. And while I was up in Chicago, I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns in the same courtyard. So they used to be in the WGN Tower building, the Tribune building, like 
right across the courtyard from NBC Tower. And so they had a flyer in the courtyard. I saw the flyer on the same trip. I walked over to NBC Tower and said, I'm here to meet with the intern coordinator, got a hold of them and started two weeks later. It was completely unplanned. That is so amazing. That's destiny, <laughs> right? That's destiny. This right now feels like destiny to me. I am really like paying attention to who are the people that are part of my last chapter here in Chicago. I've been in Chicago for 10 years. Who am I spending these last moments with, right? Like who is the icing on the cake? Who are the people that at my most important moments, like who is God bringing into my life? I really pay attention to that. That's important. I think that I, just within the last five years, have reintroduced that into my life really watching out who you know god is as you say bringing into your life or who makes a difference in your life and i think though you have to really pay attention to that and then embrace and that's why i said i think that you and i just for some reason we just click you know and it, it, there's a huge age difference between us but i act like a 20 year old or a 14 year old <laughs> You've got a hipper outfit on than I do. I'm like, whoa, you walked in. I was like, wow. Try something. I had to, you know, I didn't know you were going to wear your gold <laughs> shoes again. I love those. Amazon, baby. Oh, they're awesome. They remind me of the Wizard of Oz. Do you get that a lot? I am getting ready to be the Wizard of Oz. Click my heels and who knows where I'm going. Are you excited about moving to Texas? I am. You know, I have moved actually many times. I've stayed put, and this is actually my second chapter in Chicago, but this is the longest I've stayed put through our marriage, 10 years. But, you know, our first son was born in California. My daughter was born in Indiana, right across from Kentucky when we had a Kentucky chapter. Wow. And my last two have been born in Evanston. And I think that there is really beauty in creating experiences for your children. And I'm like, they're gonna remember this one, right? Like most of <laughs> yeah. their formative years, although the baby is only three, yeah. have been here. And you know, I feel like we tried a couple different schools here and they were good for the time being. And I think that we've evolved and we're ready for another chapter. Well, that's good, that's good. I'm glad you're comfortable with it. Wasn't quite <laughs> sure how you would feel. You know, I might be crying when uh, the movers are pulling everything out of our grown up, beautiful house that we purchased and we're getting ready to put the house on the market. And luckily, you know, my husband's company did pay for the reload. And so that's really nice and makes it a lot easier. But we're going to be renting for the first time in our marriage and we're going to be figuring out which neighborhood we fit into and which synagogue and which community and which friends. And yeah, that's I don't envy that. I, you know, I really don't. My daughter whenever she she's talking about moving to California. And I'm like, I won't be able to afford anything in California. You know, maybe she can build me a little grandma pod outside. I lived in a garage. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. So when I moved to LA from Chicago, I went from being a producer to an executive assistant. I started all the way over. I knew no one. I actually, that's not true. I knew one person who was an ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <clears throat> and we worked on a pilot of a television show together. I got hired as like a production coordinator. He was a production manager. And then I really hit it off with the people during the production. And they hired me as an executive assistant to three fairly established producers that had been in the industry for like 30 years. So they gave me, it was really like a glorified receptionist role. <laughs> But I learned the accounts payable, the accounts receivable, how to, you know, do- Manage, right? How to do location scouting, 
what payroll for 200 people on a large feature presentation looked like. And I learned the back end of the film industry and I ended up working there, making a lot of really great connections. And from there, I became a field interviewer, a post-production supervisor, an assistant editor. I tried so many different positions and my boss at the Kyoto Brothers was renting a house from someone and the guy that he was renting from had a garage in his backyard that he had converted into a studio. And let wow. me tell you, this was a gold mine because I was living behind a $2.5 million house at the time in this cute little garage in his backyard. And it was like my own private haven. And I got to live in a nice neighborhood right by NBC in LA in Burbank wow. in a garage. But it was, you know, I was single and I was, you know, a secretary and I was able to stand completely on my own two feet and live in a nice neighborhood. You just never know. There's secret little hiding places like that. Yeah, there are. I mean, I never would have thought that I would have owned my own, still owned my own house after the divorce, been able to keep it. I love where I live and I can't imagine mo actually moving to California or moving out of state for any reason. Have you done but any moving throughout your life? I've done lots of moving all in Illinois though, all in Illinois. I have not been outside of Illinois. Anything you've I, learned from moving? Yeah, you need to not keep everything and don't move what you don't need. I learned that because my mom and moving my mom and my dad, they collected everything. They weren't necessarily, some rooms were hoarding rooms, but my dad had boxes, empty boxes for guns, empty boxes for, you know, a blender that they had lost, you know, didn't even have. And he kept them in cubby holes in the basement. And I was like, when I started pulling them down, I'm like, why are these empty? But he kept them. I never got to ask him why, because he passed on. But I was like, so I learned from that, don't keep things that you don't need, purge. So if you think of something, you know, you can always, when you get there, get it, get something that you thought you maybe didn't need, but it's better just to, to purge. That's what I've learned. I'm purging right now. So my own house. I'm getting ready to get rid of a lot of stuff. Also, I am curious, what do you think legacy is? Have you thought about like what le legacy? Yeah, your legacy, why you're here, what you want your daughter to take with her. All my kids. I want all them your to, kids. Yes. I want them to take with them that they can achieve anything that they want to achieve, to believe in themselves and have confidence in themselves. My legacy is Chug, quite honestly. I want somebody to take over that business. I don't know whether my daughter, my daughter has talked about it at times, but I don't think she will. I think she's just too much into her own. She needs to be her own person. Um, and she's still figuring that out. But yeah, my legacy is definitely Chug and I want somebody, I'm looking for somebody and maybe it's you, who knows? But I'm looking for somebody who can step into my shoes and fill my shoes and have that same passion. Because if they don't have that same passion, then it's not a legacy. That's a good point. So what about you? What is legacy to me? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely still thinking about that. <sighs> you got years to think about it. But yeah, alongside what you were saying, I really don't want to make my kids be something that they're not. I think that so many of us are taught things and we feel like we have to do them because our generations before us did that. You know, what do I really believe? What do I really want? And it's taken me a long time to like get there of even being okay saying that. But that's important. Yeah. Why do you think it is? It took you so long to get to that point. 
Oh, so that's another thing. Like going back to my house in Kentucky and like reading back through my yearbooks, it was like a lack of confidence and even other people noticed it. They're like, if you just believed in yourself, you could be so great. And I, it's interesting how other people perceived that. I would, now he's cool, was a very, I wouldn't say shy, but people saw me as very confident and outgoing. But on the inside, I was not. Yeah. I, I was very afraid. Yeah. I'm afraid of what people thought. Me too. What they would say behind my back. Yep. Would they make fun of me? I didn't want that. Who but, does? No, exactly. <laughs> and you know, we, back, back then we were bullied. Yep. But we didn't call it bullying. We just thought they were being nice. You know, that girl isn't being nice to me. She doesn't like me, you know, but we didn't call it bullying. So. Oh, I called it that. So there's a, there's a generational <laughs> there's a generation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I definitely called it that. I felt bullied. And, and honestly, in middle school, those were some of my toughest years. And now that my oldest just graduated eighth grade, I was like, well, phew, we missed, you know, the hardest years of my life. I've survived that with the first one. I was like, good. He didn't get bullied. But, you know, there's still high school. There's still, you know, plenty of years left. But I was like, wow, my toughest years are really middle school. I switched from going to a small Jewish school full of other awkward kids to a public school where I felt like I got eaten alive. Because you were Jewish? Partly. I did have some swastikas carved on my desk. Other silly stuff like, you know, where'd you get your clothes? My backyard dumpster or... Yeah. So back to who I was as a little girl, I mean, people asked me, and this was actually going to be part of my original intro that I didn't use, but people asked me, are you Italian? Are you Hispanic? Are you Bohemian? It was like a guessing game. And I'm always like, well, whatever they, they think I am, I'm just going to respond. Oh yeah, I'm a little of that, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because I wasn't confident in being a Jewish girl from Kentucky. I didn't want to be that. And, and actually now that my kids are kind of like figuring out where they are with that, I have to give myself grace there. How so? Because I sent, you know, all my kids to this Orthodox Jewish school and we tried to fit in there. Cause I'm like, you know, if you want your kids to be Jewish, then you got to like teach them everything about it. And they didn't fit into it. They didn't, we, we weren't necessarily living it. Right. You know, we wanted to give them that exposure, but we weren't necessarily living it. And then we took them out of there after trying to squeeze them into that for seven years and put them in a school that was like a lot more progressive and open to everyone. And they loved that a lot more. But then there were some other political views that we didn't really agree with at that school. So, you know, there's, there's going to be problems everywhere. But yeah, I, like you said, like who, who was Rena as a little girl? The same person that I am now, like really just trying to figure out my place in the world. Like, I don't feel like I have found that. How do you deal with bias and prejudice? Oh, that's such a good question. I interview people about it that are experts in it to try to understand it better. And but I'm getting you, ready to do that. Actually, somebody you, just talked to me about that. I think that we all need training in that area. I think that there's still a lot of bias. And even if oh, you try to address it, it's still there. There are so many people that just don't think that they're biased or you don't know, think or, that they're prejudiced oh, or right. won't admit to oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have friends that'll say things and I'm like, that's not very nice. Why are you saying that about that person? Or, oh, it's just, it, it's not, you know, I'm just kidding around. And they're down deep. Are they really kidding around or do they really mean it? And even though my dad said part of the reason that we're doing this show is to give an unbiased opinion and to give people a platform where they can speak freely, we're still edited. Right, right. We're only right. sharing what we're comfortable sharing, right? right? I mean, you do get to know people the more episodes that you listen to, right? Yeah. But we're all only giving a piece of the truth. Yeah, I know. But, but I do think that that starts to break down barriers. 
And I am willing to have conversations with people that I might not agree with. I have conversations with people that I might not agree with all the time, actually. I'm actually more fascinated by them. That's interesting that you bring that up. <laughs> and why is that? Just because, because I want to know their experience. I want to know how they've navigated. I want to know what, you know, what their journey so has you're been like. you learning from them. Yes, I'm learning from them, totally. Okay. I think, actually, the world would be in a much better place if we all took the time to do that. I just recently... Listen connected with a Palestinian girl on Instagram and she was good friends with someone who I like and who I follow all of her content. And truthfully, I'm a little bit scared by her. And I also had a conversation with a guy who was former KKK. And I've also had conversations with somebody who is former Aryan party in jail. And yeah, I want to know how they've been able to reform or how they truthfully feel or what piece of the truth will they give me? Yeah. <laughs> You know, here I am, a little white girl that, you know, really is American mutt. I'm not prejudiced. My dad was prejudiced. I saw that and I didn't like it, so I decided to do something about it. But a lot of my friends are Jewish. I get along well with the Jewish community and I try to understand your point of view yeah. and what you believe and, and understand your culture and the Torah and all those things that are important to you. One of my best friends is Jewish and she's 70 years old and she's still working in healthcare. Wow, um, God bless her. Yeah, she's this super dynamic person. And she's similar to you, quite honestly. She's, <laughs> she actually is similar to you, now that I think about it. Just an older form. But it, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just very interesting how people view prejudice and, and just put blinders on, really. They don't want to talk about it. They won't yeah. think it'll go away. Yeah. They don't want to admit there are people who are gay or that there are black people or, you know, they just put blinders on it and they don't want to talk about it. If they I don't think they're afraid it, to talk about it too. I think they're scared to talk about it. Why? It's just like people don't want to admit to what they believe or what they've been taught because of fear of judgment. But then you have people on the other spectrum who... I wish I could fully talk about everything that I believed, but you can't. I wish I could fully talk about when somebody like says something that pisses me off. Hey, that really pissed me off. I wish I could really actually, I mean, wouldn't you love to have a day of liar, liar, where you just told everybody the truth? No one does that. But you should, <laughs> but you should. I'd be so much less anxious. You know what? My sister, I'll give you a, a good, real quick story of my sister. So my sister said to me, you've got so many problems, meaning health problems. And I didn't take it very well because I do. I wasn't given a choice of that. And so I finally, after she's said this so many numerous times, I finally said to her, that's not nice. And I don't want you to say that again to me. And I'm trying to, to actually do that. Liar, liar. <laughs> <laughs> Your pants are on fire and really get the truth out there because you only live once and it, it's important. And it's part of you as a person to share how you really feel. And yes, you might hurt someone in the process, but you can say things the way that it will be okay for them. You can, right. you can, you can try you can to say it, it a in a diplomatic bit. way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, what's really interesting. I feel like a lot of my career success has been listening to my gut. So my whole thought is if you listen to your gut in that regard, why can't you listen to your gut in your interpersonal relationships as well? Like maybe the feelings that you're feeling are actually from God or like maybe they're also gut instincts and maybe you are the person that is supposed to be delivering that message. Very true. Very true. Why are these situations happening otherwise? Who knows? 
Who really knows? God, probably. That's a big one that people don't want to talk about is religion. Mm -hmm. You know, let, let's slide that underneath the carpet and just not talk about it. The religion piece is hard too, because for me, so much of it is formal. It's like, go read these passages and go do it in this way. And I don't connect to it that way. I literally walk into the service. I'm like, where are they? What page are they on? You know, read some prayer that doesn't feel genuine to me. Okay, we're right on the same page with that. <laughs> I'd rather just have a conversation with God in so, the good and the bad. I think we are at a place in our lives and in, in, in society in itself that if we believe in God, we don't have to have a church in order to, or a synagogue or anywhere. We can pray here. Yeah, let's we do it. We can. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's true. I mean, why not? Thank you, God, for this opportunity right now. I am feeling very solely connected to Connie Polk and my dad and Yoni. This is a holy experience. Thank you, God. Amen. <laughs> but it, Seriously. It, it, didn't that help? Yes. I mean, I just don't believe anymore. It felt ordained. I was brought up in a church and I'm not, not going to say the denomination and it doesn't make any difference, but I never felt right in that church. When I got married, I switched to another church and I felt really good in that church. Felt like a member and the pastor was sent to another place. Never been to church since then because I never was able to, to get that same level of feeling of a congregation and a community. And it just felt all fake to me. They felt fake. I get that. And, and my sisters and my mom thought I gave up religion. I'm like, no, I've never given up religion. I've never given up my spirituality. I've never given up my faith, but I just don't go to church. I pray every day. I live a religious life and you know, that's, my choice. Amen, sister. <laughs> I love it. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Well, I love the honest exchange of ideals with Connie and Rena. And it's really funny because you guys can interview each other. And it turns to a point where you don't know who's interviewing who. <laughs> it's, it's really terrific where you get really an honest discussion of two people really bouncing ideas between each other and where you cover a lot of ground together and a real open discussion. And that's also part of the theme of the Better Call Daddy Show is that you should be able to express yourself, be able to learn lessons and give lessons back and forth. And it's really a terrific show. I think that the theme of our show also comes out where Rena really expresses how this puts together all of her experiences and to be able to also know that there's someone in her corner that also wants the best out of her as well and to carry out a legacy. What does legacy really mean? Legacy is where you're following up a history. It could be your family. It could be your type of business that you might have that you want to pass on from generation to generation. It could be a certain talent. We've seen people and families that practice circus acts and they pass it on for generations or a farm where people have been working that same farm for five or six generations. And as you'll see in some later episodes, a great grandfather's barbecue sauce and a, a lady who's also been passing on a certain recipe that she got from her father. That's really what it's about. 
is being able to understand that life is very short and that what makes it sometimes more meaningful, if we can have an emphasis of where we take what we've learned and be able to pass it on and help other people and help other members of your family have a continuum and keep it going. You might say, how do we even figure out why God has put us here? And at least in our faith, the Jewish faith, is that we have been given the opportunity. He gives you a good set of the rules of what he's looking for, and he wants us to be able to pass that on. It has been for five over 5,000 years. We are part of his dream of where, instead of just saying what the right answer is, he wants us to experience the highs and lows, come up with also a history or a legacy that is his, and that we're here to hopefully follow that legacy. And it isn't an easy thing to follow a legacy, but I think that's part of the meaning of life is to have a continuum. And Lena and I, with this show, I think trying to point that out to not only to ourselves, but to hopefully give everyone else a glimpse of it and help others see it as well. I feel like she wants her legacy to be this chug where she helps people with emergency preparedness. Absolutely. I think you've got it right on the nail. And for her to be able to do that and help other people, she's hoping for that same type of connection. And we do too. What did you think about the questions that she asked me? I think that she wanted to also get to know you, see where you've come from, and see how you make your decisions. And I think that you answered them wholeheartedly. Isn't it, again, the experiences that we have that help us in our judgment, but better yet, experiencing other people's ideas and being able to listen and to be able to experience how people live in different parts of the country or parts of the world also help in your perspective of things. And I think that you were able to demonstrate that also in the interview. I think you like me. I think so. It's part of my problem. (laughs) But that's the thing. Even though at times we all are going to have high and low moments, but those that learn to overcome the low moments and improve upon them and don't get frustrated and learn to develop a little bit more patience and humility guess what? You'll have higher points. And the more we reach out and help people and we show that we're understanding and that it's better to be a good sport and be a good guy than a bad guy or a grumpy guy or a sourpuss, that you'll find out that there's an attraction to positive, not only reactions to people, but when you have a positive outlook, you shine better. And we want to send that guiding light as best that we can to everyone that we meet. I like that. Okay, I think that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 